You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning again. As we wrap up this series called Crop, today we are going to be talking about keeping Christ in our other six days, our Monday through Saturday We find it easy when we come together, right? This is the day the Lord has made. We sing it. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. But how many of us can say that on Monday morning when we get up and when we go to work or when we go to school or when we face whatever challenges that come our way in uh, our caring for our family or even in our retirement years? So, So that's where we're going right now. And we've been talking about this idea of crop. The metaphor, as you've heard already, is... uh, is how we try to make our lives look better sometimes, maybe hide things that are embarrassing to us by cropping pictures, right? If you ever in a picture and you realize your zipper's down, well, you're going to crop that out, right? You don't want people to see that. Somebody photobombs your picture, you want to crop them out. You don't want them in the picture. They weren't intended to be there. So, so you find that we do that to make ourselves look better. Sometimes I think to make ourselves look better, we try to hide the fact that we are Christian in order not to be embarrassed because of the way the world looks at Christianity, we tend to pretend that we aren't. And, and I don't think there's any place that we do that more than at work or at school. I think that, that the struggle is there because of uh, the difficulties of doing that. And I'm here today speaking to you not as one who has to hide Christ in my workplace, all right? I'll give that to you. My job is to bring Christ wherever I am. That's my full-time profession. So for me to speak to you about what you do in your workplace, some of you saying, Pastor, I'm just checking you off right now because you don't get it. Well, just try. (laughs) Try. I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't in a pastor's home. I my, my dad worked the nine-to-five job downtown every day. My wife works in the public school system. I've had other jobs. Not that I'm the expert, but I am telling you that it is difficult, and I understand that. It is. It is. Why is it so difficult? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why. I think there's a lot of reasons why. I think a lot of people just think, well, Christ doesn't fit there. I mean, Sunday is about church. The rest of my days are about real life, Right? Or maybe you feel like, you know, religion and politics, these are personal matters. We really shouldn't be talking about them in the workplace. They become too divisive, uh, too stressful, too hard to talk about. So let's just check that at the door when we swipe the, uh, the card reader to get into our office building. You know, we, 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 we feel like, you know, um, uh, pastor, if you knew the kind of people that I work with, if you understood the language, the vulgarity, the offensiveness, the corruption of my workplace, you would hide it too because I couldn't be able to live there if I came out front and claimed to be a Christ follower. And I just think a lot of people think, well, you know, does Jesus really care about my work life? Does he really care how many burgers I flipped this week or how many stocks I traded this week or what color I painted my client's hair or what color I used for my website that I'm designing. Does Jesus really care about those things? Why does Jesus need to be there in the workplace? So we have all these issues of why we say we don't really need Jesus or why we crop Jesus out. And one might be just work is pure drudgery. You know, work is just something I do to be able to 
be able to do the things that I, something I have to do to be able to do the things I want to do. And uh, so I just go to work as, do what I have to do and get out of there as fast as I can. Well, the idea that church is irrelevant or maybe more importantly that Christ is irrelevant to our other six days is prevalent. We do that often, but I want to talk to you today about a way in which you can and a way in which every one of us in this place can bring Christ into our other six days. And so I want to talk about that, but I realize that work is tough. I, I, one writer said, work is brutal. Work is a four-letter word. He went on to say that most people don't think that work could possibly have anything to do with spirituality. They assume that these two worlds cannot mesh. But if we bring our souls to work, then we can transform our work. And that's when our work can begin to transform us. The problem with most people, he says, is that their work transforms them into something bad, something bitter, something tired, something broken. But how can we come to work and be a source of healing and health? How can we, who have been impacted by the Holy Spirit of God, come into our other six days and help bring Christ into those places? And, and so what I want to talk to you about that is this. We don't live bifurcated lives. We don't live in, here's the world of faith. This is my church world. These are my church friends. This is my small group. And then we have this other world in which we live in. We don't, we don't live separate lives. Let's bring our lives together. Let's bring our lives together. What we do here matters. What we do there and what we do there matters and how we come to the Lord here too. So for many of you, work is soul crushing. Wouldn't it be great if work was soul satisfying? Wouldn't it be great if you could wake up on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and say, I get to do this? I can't wait to go today. God is sending me on a mission today. Wouldn't it be great if we wake up with that kind of mindset? Well, I want to tell you how to do that. You can do that if you care. If you care. And so I'm going to use that word care as an acrostic to sort of bring out what the scripture says about Christ in the workplace. But there's a scripture I want to begin with in Colossians and several of the passages that we're looking at is in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians 3 verses 23 begins with this. Whatever you do, that means anything, right? Whatever you do, not just Sunday, but Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, whatever you do, the other six days, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, for it is the Christ Lord, Lord Christ, you are serving. You're saying, really? I don't see Jesus Christ on my paycheck. Am I really working for Jesus Christ? I work for the man. I work for the company. I work for the clients. I work for these people. And the scripture says, but ultimately you work for Christ. Well, how can I say that? Because every good and perfect gift comes down from God. God gave you that job. You say, gee, thanks, God. <laughs> but he did. You don't have to work there. You could quit tomorrow. But you do because it provides for you. It gives you something good. It helps you to sustain yourself and others and make a living and do something productive with your life. 
You, by whatever you do on your job, is helping to make the world a better place in some small way. So it is God's mandate for all of us to create and to invent and to tend the garden and to make the world heal and be a better place. So whatever job you do, whether it be engineering or nursing and uh, uh, paving or, or, or cleaning or whatever, you're helping make the world better. God gave you that. So ultimately, okay, I'm going to work, and yeah, yeah, I know that somebody else's name is on my paycheck, but really, God's behind it. Thank you, Jesus, for this paycheck. Thank you, God, for this job. It's yours. You gave it to me. I respect it. I put a different light on it whenever I think about it in those terms. So, so I, I do it whenever, whatever I do, I'm going to come to work with an attitude that I'm going to care. And so I'm using the word care as an acronym. And uh, so the first word C, I get from a passage earlier on in that chapter in Colossians that says this. The first, the C stands for compassion. I care when I have compassion. Notice what it says in verse 12 of Colossians 3. It says, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, notice it wants you to know you're chosen by God, you are holy, made holy, you are dearly loved. Get that in your head right now, okay? I am God's chosen child, I am holy, made holy by God, I'm dearly loved by God. So since I have that in my head, my heart, my soul, then I clothe myself with what? Compassion and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. I bear with each other and forgive one another if, if, if I have a grievance against someone. I forgive as the Lord forgave me, and over all these virtues I put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So you see what that scripture's getting at, right? It, it gets to the idea of we clothe ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. Most many of those qualities are what you see in Galatians chapter 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so if the Spirit of Christ is in us, then we should bear fruit that reflects the Spirit of God. And that's what that fruit looks like. And so when I put on compassion, I go to work with, with this idea that I'm here and it's not just about me. Now, the root of the word compassion means to suffer with. And I, and I know some of you are saying, well, that makes sense because when I go to work, I'm suffering with a whole lot of people. That, that's not, I think, what I'm trying to say. What I think it's, it doesn't mean you go to work and you commiserate and you complain and you, 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 you drink the Kool-Aid of negativity and, 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 and uh, grumbling and, and backbiting. No, 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 no. That's not what compassion means. That's, that's not what it means to suffer with. What it means to have compassion is to say, these people that I work with are real people. They have lives. They have issues. Some of them are far from God. Some of them are close to God. And many of them are somewhere in between. And many of them are facing issues. And you know what? God cares about them, so I should care about them. So I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to have compassion, meaning I'm going to think about the needs of others. I'm going to be concerned about them. And so, are you the kind of person when you go to work that other people would look to and say, that person cares about me? Or are you the person that wants to just spread the manure around when you go to work? Because when you come with compassion, it sets you apart. 
You're different. You're different. And you're the person that when those people who you work with are going through a hard time and they notice something different about you, they might come to you and ask you for prayer. My wife is a school teacher, Penn Hill School District, difficult school district, hard work, a lot of challenges. And uh, I guarantee you it's not easy. And uh, many of you are doing similar jobs. You, you know it's very difficult. Um, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable all the time. Even though you know what you do might be uh, a noble thing, it doesn't mean it's easy to do. So it's easy to get caught up, to drink the Kool-Aid of negativity, and to just join in with everybody and commiserate. And yet... When you begin to turn that complaining into praying, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so you begin to pray. Now imagine you do this. Here's a spiritual exercise I want you to... Everybody can do this. You can do this. When you wake up in the morning, you go through your morning routine, right? Get out of bed, take a shower, change your clothes, get cleaned up, eat breakfast... But imagine in the morning, if you made that a spiritual discipline, a spiritual exercise, you say, how can that be a spiritual exercise? Well, I have a, uh, a pastor that I follow, and he said one time, you know, when I shower in the morning, it reminds me of my baptism. When I let the water rush over me, it reminds me that I am made clean by Christ. It reminds me that I have a clean slate, and I just pray, God, as you wash over me today, wash away all my sin, wash away all my stain, wash away the stuff that I've accumulated yesterday and I need to start. And so that, and, and I thought, well, why don't we just make all of that? Why don't we say when we pull on our pants, say, God, I'm, I'm clothing myself with compassion today. When you put on that shirt, God, I want to clothe myself with forgiveness today. God, when I clothe myself, I today put these clothes on and I want you to clothe me with, with spiritual fruit, with fruit of the Spirit. God, I put on those things today as I go to work. And when you go to work, having put on the fruit of the Spirit, when you put on those things, it changes you. It changes you. You face your work, you go there differently. You're a different person. And then you recognize the things that, that could come at you and you say, okay, rather than complain, I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to pray. How can I pray for you? Yeah, man, that's really tough. I, I hear what you're going through. Can, what can I say? So when you become the person that can pray for people and, and maybe you don't even do it out loud at first, you do it quiet, you do it under your breath. Here's a practice. On your way to work, ask God to give you somebody specific in your workplace to pray for. And we're going to end this morning by doing that. And you pray for that person and then you'll see God working. Open your eyes and ears and you will see God working in that person. And it might be somebody you don't like or somebody that doesn't like you. It might be somebody you just really are friends with. Could be an employee, could be the boss, whatever. But pray. My wife talks oftentimes about the teachers who will come to her and say, you know, hey, my husband just left me. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? My, 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 my kid just got in trouble, may face some jail time. Can you pray for me? Parents meeting with her, you know, talking about the kids, you know. She doesn't start the day with devotion. She doesn't have them, you know, do things, but, she, but they know that she's a person that cares because she's compassionate. We can do that. So, compassion. I, I bring Christ to work. I, I bring Christ to work uh, when I pray, whenever I can do that. So, so I bring Christ to practice 
I'm sorry, I bring Jesus into my picture at work when I pray for others. See, read your notes, Bill. It says it right there. Secondly, I care. I care when I have compassion. A, I have a good attitude. Now, you know, in the workplace, attitude is everything. You know, it really is. And if you have compassion, obviously you should have a good attitude. But uh, do, you, do you want to crop Jesus out of your workplace? Then go to work with a rotten attitude and you will just cut Jesus right out of your workplace. And your attitude toward life determines life's attitude toward you. You know, I, I know people who feel like everybody has it out for them. Everybody's against them. Everybody doesn't like them. Nobody cares about them. And when I hear that, I begin to think, hmm, I wonder if everybody else is the problem. Or if maybe you have a rotten attitude and it's just coming back at you. So when everybody around you is complaining about you and grumbling about you, take a good look in the mirror. Say, God, does my attitude need to be changed? So if we did an attitude check this morning about your attitude toward your workplace with uh, like a fuel gauge, if your attitude was E on empty or rotten and if it was full, it's great, it's positive, where would your attitude be right now in that gauge? Do some self-assessment right now. How can you move it up a little bit? How can you fill it up a little bit? How can we bring more of a, an attitude into our workplace? I love what it says in Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your attitude at work, at school, God-glorifying or not? And the attitude that you should have is what the attitude that Christ has for you. And let me just talk about that for a second because a lot of people think, well, how can I have a good attitude? They're idiots. They're jerks. They're, they're, how can I? You know what? Do you think Jesus feels about that toward you when you're an idiot and when you're a jerk? Do you think Christ's attitude toward you when you're misbehaving, when you're outside of God's will is like that? Or do you think he's praying for you? Do you think he wants your best? Do you think he cares about the causes of your bad attitude? So the same attitude that we have in Christ, endurance and encouragement, bring that with you. Another passage about that, and this is a classic in Philippians chapter two, it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love? Do you have any fellowship with the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? In other words, if you know Christ and Christ has done a healing work in your life, if you know all that, and Paul says, then make me happy by agreeing with each other and loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take the interest in others too. Again, that's the compassion part. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Do you get that? I know it didn't come up yet, but it's there. So, so have the same attitude that Christ has for you. Does he encourage you? Does he love you? Then have that. And what was the attitude that Christ had? It goes on to say, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp. 
but he let go and he took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a servant. Think about that. Think about that. Christ, who had all power, all glory, all fame, all riches, all the majesty of heaven, said that's not what it's all about. It's about becoming a servant and humbling himself and becoming obedient even to death, death on the cross. And he's our leader. He's our Lord. But pastor, how can I have that kind of attitude? Man, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. It's the survival of the fittest in the workplace. You don't get it. You better beat down or be beaten down. You got you to gotta step up and fight your way through it. I, I, yeah, I, I don't doubt that it feels like that at times. But we don't fight with the weapons of this world, do we? We fight with the weapons of God, which is loving and servanthood. Jesus had two disciples who thought that the way of leadership was command and control because that's all they know. In the world in which they lived, when, the, when leaders had all the power, they used their authority to oppress and to abuse others, right? And I think in the workplace, you get people that are like that. They, their style of leadership is all command and control. It's my way or the highway. I'm here. I'm the boss. You do what I say. I'll reward you. You don't. I punish you. And so that whole way of leadership was this command and control kind of leadership. And so then Jesus, they talked about, you know, Jesus talked about the kingdom. They thought it was an earthly thing. Jesus would become the king. So when he's going to become the king, though he'll be a good king, he'll still have that authority and he'll wield it like the people, like the pagans did. So they said, Jesus, when you get into your place, we want to be on your right and we want to be on your left. We want to be your top two cabinet members in your kingdom. We want to be prime minister and secretary of state. We want to have all the power. Jesus said, you guys just don't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not like the pagans who use their authority over people. But he said, in the kingdom of God, whoever wants to be the leader among you must become servant of all. And to become the servant of all, because even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the attitude that we bring to work should be an attitude of servanthood. I'm here to serve but I'm the boss and you're here to serve. Well, I'm just a hireling, but you're here to serve. Have you ever been to companies who train their people and they get that? They're the companies you want to go back to. They're the stores, they're the shops, they're the organizations you want to do business with, right? You know, I think of a, a simple example like Chick-fil-A. You ever go to Chick-fil-A, everybody there is happy. I don't know what they're, what's in there, but they're happy. Do you think they feel happy all the time? Do you think they don't face struggles and trials and tribulations? You don't, you don't think, but they're trained and, they, and, and I believe they really believe it that they're here to serve. So you walk in the door, it's all about serving you and you want to go back to that, right? You say, thank you, what, is what do they say? My pleasure, my pleasure. Somebody thanks you at work and you say, my pleasure. You're welcome. My pleasure. I love to serve. Do you know that 
the way of leadership taught in our business schools used to be the command and control kind of leadership. How you get the best out of everybody. How you make sure that you, you motivate them by threats, you know, the carrot or the whip, whichever you get, you get them. But now you go to, to, to business schools and they're teaching a whole different way of leadership. And that leadership is servant leadership. Where are they getting it? They're getting it from Jesus. Jesus knew 2,000 years ago. And they're learning that in the, long, in the short term, you can get things out of people by threats and by rewards. But in the long term, you get things out of people the most by, by serving and loving. And that's, and that's what they're teaching now. In fact, I know a guy. In fact, he comes here. Many of you know him. He's the CEO of a large senior care organization and uh, has... Um, Facilities all around Western Pennsylvania, one of the top-rated facilities, is in control of hundreds of employees, thousands of clients. And you would think that this person would need to be a very hard-driving directive, you know, the command and control kind of person. Well, years ago, we were going on a mission trip to Africa, and he asked if he could go along on the trip. God bless you. He asked if, he asked if we could go on the trip. And... Um, and, and of course, yes. You know, you really get to know somebody when you go on a short-term mission trip with them, especially when you're going out to uh, the Maasai Mara out in uh, Kenya and living with the Maasai, living in a tent. I'm telling you, on that trip, there was nobody who carried more luggage, who opened more doors, who served more people, who waited last in line to get his food than Paul Winkler did. And I just fell in love with that guy on that trip. And you know what? I shadowed him one day on his job for a course I was taking. And I followed him around as he went and met with the, the managers and with the people in all the different departments. And I thought, this guy gets it. Servanthood. Servanthood. It works. It works. It works. Not just because it works, you should do it. It's right. It's right. All right? So, so I, I bring Jesus into my work picture when I can be a servant leader. So I care when I have compassion, when I have a good attitude, and then a couple more real quickly, R. And R stands for when I'm real. When I'm real, when I'm authentic, when I'm the real thing. Because nothing will crop Jesus faster out of your workplace than when you are a hypocrite. When you say that you're a Christ follower, but you go to work Monday through Friday or you go to school Monday through Friday and you're cutting corners and you're lying and you're cheating and you're stealing from the company or stealing from the clients or, or cussing out the people that don't like you, you will crop Jesus out of your life so fast when you do that. And not only that, you're cropping Jesus out of their lives too. Because they say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with that. Now, does that mean you have to be perfect? No, but you need to be real. And when you fail, you need to do the right thing and ask for forgiveness and say you're sorry. When you mess up, you need... But your, your motivation should be always do things with integrity, always do things rightly, caring for others. You say, well, I won't make as much money. Well, what's more important? What's more important? But you don't understand. Everybody does it this way. Yeah, and you need to be different because you're a Christ follower. And so I'm just saying, be the real thing. Be the real thing. Nothing crops Jesus out of the picture faster than hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus 
spared no language when it came to talking to people who he considered hypocrites. The harshest language you will find in Scripture comes out of the mouth of Jesus when he's talking to people who claim to be God followers, but they were fakes. In fact, you read it in Matthew 23, and uh, if it was in the original language, you would be blacking out some of the words because they're so strong. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you succeed, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So Jesus said to these religious people who were using their religion to, uh, to control and manipulate and have power over people, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but, in the di- but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Those are some pretty harsh words coming out of the mouth of Jesus because he sees what hypocrisy and people who are fakes can do for the sake of the kingdom. So when we bring Jesus into the workplace, be the real thing. Be the real thing. Be the real thing. I bring Jesus into my picture at work when I'm the real thing. And then the last thing is E. Care. I, I have compassion. I have a good attitude. I'm the real thing. And E, I want to use a word that you would never see or probably use for yourself when I evangelize. When I evangelize. So what is evangelize? So you think, you think, and if, I'm no evangelist, and if your picture of an evangelist is what you see on television, let me just say I'm glad you're not. But the root of the word evangelist means a person who tells good news. Good news. Can you be a person who spreads good news? Well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do that. Because you know what? You are a preacher whether you know it or not. All the time you are giving a message. And is that message one of good news or is it bad news? Is it edifying or is it destroying? Does it build up or does it tear down? What is the message that you carry with you in your life? Notice what it says in Colossians, back in Colossians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And notice what it says. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer everyone. Notice, notice what that implies there. If you're wise in the way you act toward outsiders and your life is one of grace, I'm not talking about bringing a message of condemnation. I'm not talking about bringing a message of turn or burn. I'm not talking about bringing a message that, that uh, uh, is, is, is shoving Christ down people's throat because if they're not ready to receive it, you are going to drive them away. I'm, not talk- I'm talking about bringing a life that portrays a difference because you have a genuine relationship with Christ. 
Keep that scripture up there if you don't mind, Jeremy. So if your life is full of grace and then you just season it with salt a little bit, drop a little seed here, flavor it a little bit, people will know there's something different. And they will come to you and say, what's different about you? There you go. You have an answer to give them. You know what's different about me? You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But I, you know, years ago, or this week, or last week, or whenever it was, I, I learned that God knows me best and loves me most. God cares about me, and God cares about you. And, and I realized that I needed to be forgiven by God. And when I prayed and asked Christ to come and change my life, come into my life, something changed. And go ahead and explain the change that took place. Because you're a preacher. You have a message, and that message has to do with the change that God has brought in your life because of your faith in Jesus. And if you have authentic faith with Jesus, you've received the encouragement, all those things that we've talked about, the fruit of the Spirit. You have good news that other people desperately need to hear, and they will want to hear it. They will want to hear it. So you give an answer for that. One more story. Here's how this looks. Just an example. Uh, you know, just a little over a month ago, the U.S. Open was here in Oakmont. I'm still <laughs> loving it. Um, if, you, if you're not aware, U.S. Open is one of the biggest tournaments of the year. The best players in the world come from all over the world to come and play here at this amazing golf course. And they'll get in weeks before and play some practice rounds, but Monday they start up there going around, playing the course, getting to know, you know, how to putt on those devastating greens. Should I, should I try to drive the green on 17 or should I play up and play it the way it's supposed to? And they're strategizing, figuring out how to play and how to, how to do all of that and uh, to try to win the tournament or do their best in the tournament. So Monday, I... Um, go to get lunch over Panera, which I do often. I walk there from my office and I'm sitting there, I grab my lunch, I'm sitting down outside, I'm by myself, I'm reading, I'm eating at one of the outside tables there. And lo and behold, Bubba Watson comes in a car and gets out with three other guys. Bubba Watson, if you don't know, is one of the top 10 players in the world, great guy. Goes in, they get their food, and guess what? They come out and they sit at the table right next to me. <laughs> so I'm reading. And I got one here. And, you know, I'm observing. And, you know, it was really cool that it seemed like a lot of different, several other cars are pulling up and some wives of other players. And every time one car would get out and several wives and kids get out and Bubba gets up from his chair and walks over, opens the door, hugs them, greets them. Uh, Jason Day, number one player in the world, his wife and their little boy and kid get out and he's talking to them and opens the door. Another, and he goes back to the sound and gets them. And I'm thinking... Wow, what a friendly guy. And then, then one of the guys that's with Jason, I don't know if it's his coach or manager or friend or caddy, but he's talking to them and I'm hearing the conversation. He's talking to Jason, I mean to, uh, to Bubba. And he says, Bubba, you know what? I think you're here for more than just golf. He said, Bubba, you can do things with a golf ball that nobody else can do. And I think that you have this platform for a reason. 
And I just think that when you're here, God gives you the opportunity to influence and to do all of that. And then the other player that was across the table from him says, yeah, he says, you know, my preacher one time said, at all times preach Christ and if necessary use words, which is a quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, these guys are about to play one of the biggest tournaments of the year and they're not talking strategy. They're not talking golf. They're talking gospel about how they can use the platform that they have to be able to be a positive influence for Christ in the workplace. Now, I know you think it doesn't work, but they work hard at it, put it that way. And I'm thinking, yes. So I'm sitting there, and I just couldn't be quiet any longer. I just, <laughs> sorry. I just had, and I just said, hey, guy, you know, I overheard what you're saying. Bubba gets up, says, hi, I'm Bubba. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, you know. <laughs> What's your name? You know, and he asked me my name. I just said, I want you to know, I'm a pastor here in the area and I overheard your conversation and I'm just so thrilled to hear you talk like that and, you know, I wish you the best. Have a great week. I'll be praying for you. You know, what church do you go? And it was real brief, but I'm thinking, that's what it looks like to bring Jesus into your picture at work. He's an evangelist. But he's a golfer. Yes, yes. Well, you're an engineer, but you're an evangelist. Yes. You're a doctor. You're a nurse. Yes, yes. You're, you're a construction worker. Yes. And you're an evangelist. Because you know what? You're going to go meet people this week that I will never meet. You're going to rub shoulders with people that I will never be able to preach to. You're going to be able to work next to, serve others, care for people that I will never, and none of the leaders or pastors of this church will ever get to speak to. And you know what? God put you there. And that is not just to get money. It's to care for people, to show compassion, to spread a good attitude, to be real with your faith, and to share the good news. So this is what I want us to do in closing today. I want us to do a little spiritual exercise. And we have time to do this. I'm going to ask you to take a moment right now and clear your mind and just pause and ask Jesus, who is it that I can pray for? And Jesus is going to put somebody from your workplace, maybe somebody, maybe it's your school, Maybe it's a neighborhood, whatever, if you don't have a job or you're retired or whatever. Maybe, whatever it is, God's going to give you somebody to pray for. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that right now. And, 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 and somebody that you're going to come in contact with over the next day or two. And I want you, as God, play, it could be somebody that doesn't like you. It could be somebody that works under you or over you or beside you. Somebody you go to school with. But whoever that is that God places on your mind right now, I want you to take a few minutes and just think about them and lift their name up to God and pray for them. They might be close to God. They might be far from God. You might not have a clue. Maybe it's a meeting you're going to have with somebody this week, a client. I want you to pray for that person right now. Just pray for that person. Go ahead and do that right now.
God, I believe that you love these people that are being prayed for right now. I believe you care about the people that these people are praying for. God, you know them better than we know them. God, you know them better than they know themselves. And so we lift them up to you right now. And so, God, we pray for them. Maybe their life needs to be straightened out. Maybe they need, they're going through some tough times and they just need to, to, to know that you care. God, I pray for them. I pray for them. I pray for them. And God, I pray that you can use me to have some sort of way to encourage, to help them, to serve them, to love on them. Help me, God, to spread some good news in their life for your glory and for your sake and for their sake. Give me a genuine care for people that might not care for me because that's how you did with me. I want to be that way with them. Help me to take the high road and not the low road, God. God, we pray for these people and we lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now listen to me. Tomorrow, or whenever you come in contact with them, I want you to open your eyes and your ears and your heart to the Spirit of God. Maybe you just want to say, you know, you came to mind when I was in church the other day, and I just want you to know I prayed for you. That's all. I mean, that's cool. That's a little bit of self-seasoning right there. Maybe, maybe you look for opportunities that you didn't foresee, but God automatically says, here's a spiritual God moment, and maybe you might just want to take that moment and say, hey, you know, I know what you're going through, or Tell me, you want to talk? I'm here to listen. And I just want you to know, God cares and we care. And is there anything else I can do to serve you? Not just give them lip service, actually do tangible things to serve. And you will then be preaching a message of good news. What's different about you? Nobody else cares. Well, I realize that, but God does. He cares about me. I know he cares about you. Boom, gospel. Boom. And you will make a difference. And you know what's cool about it? The difference will happen in you too. You will see your work through different eyes and it'll be a better place for you. So why don't we just stand and we're going to sing a great, great old hymn. Would you just surrender your workplace? Would you surrender your school? Would you surrender your six days, your other six days to the Lord as we respond in this song together? Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.